to the worship of God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church and in our chapel for this week. Our opening hymn is one written by Isaac Watts, an Englishman who wrote a good bit of hymnody in the previous century. And it was the tradition in Episcopalian Anglican churches at that time to only sing hymnody that is from the Psalms, right? Uh, I'm looking at the music director. And so if there were different uh, texts sung, they were considered heretical. One day somebody came to Isaac Watts and says, you know, there are some who are refusing to sing because they, they don't believe in this. And Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, said, well, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. Now, would it be something if he had actually written that into a hymn? And he actually did. It's the one we are about to sing. Let's stand together and do so. Please join me in the litany and confession in our worship uh, bulletin. God calls us toward faith, hope, and love. Yet we admit that life can often feel aimless and hopeless. God invites us to experience joy. Yet we often feel overwhelmed. Our anxiety and fears cheat our beliefs and determine our behaviors. God has invited us to share in the goodness of all creation while recognizing that we are creatures in God's creation. Yet we often are users and abusers of creation rather than grateful stewards. We now pause silently in worship to confess our sins and ask for the forgiveness of God. Sisters and brothers, God hears our confession. The grace of God is bigger than our sin and makes possible a new start. God has forgiven us. With joyful gratitude, we praise God. Welcome again to the worship of God 
and in our chapel for this summer. For those of you who are new to us, that during the summer we moved from the sanctuary to your right into our chapel. It's a place that uh, the church had some of its beginnings. It's the first sanctuary of the church. And so it's, it's like coming home for some of our people. As we gather here, it's an intimate space. The singing is robust, as you heard as we began. And so it's good to be here, especially good to be here with you who are guests today. There is on the edge of your order of service a welcome card. If you're a guest today, if you'd take a moment to complete that, fill it out and drop it in the offering plate when it's passed, it'll help me connect a name and face with you. And then for any of you guests or members, if there's a prayer request you have, it's an honor for our staff and our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. So if you'd like to place a prayer request on that card, drop it in the plate, we'll receive it and we will pray for you. Welcome on this holiday weekend. Some of our folk are out traveling. They called me and asked for absolution, which I withheld from them. But you are here. We are here. God is here. So welcome. Some of you were here for our church school hour in the fellowship hall before. Wasn't that deep and wide? As we spent two weeks talking about Elie Wiesel, Uh, Holocaust survivor and his prolific writings about that experience and his quest and struggle for God. So Daniel and the Adult Education Committee, thank you all for uh, uh, helping make that possible. Today we uh, experience the broad palette of God in that we have noble hymns, we have a gospel song sung by Kurt Thomas, we have a spiritual that we'll, we will be taught by Keith Walker. So our deep and wide service will be experienced. Also today is a communion Sunday. It'll be served among the pews, and so it'll be brought to you, both the bread and the cup, and we will share in that together. All people are invited. Uh, this is not our table. It's God's table. All are invited to participate. The three scriptures that we will hear speak of noble Uh, themes, and I'll be preaching from the first one that you'll hear in just a moment. It's an Old Testament story. Here's one of the characters I'm preaching from this summer, and it's, it's about Naaman. Naaman is a Gentile. He is not Jewish, but yet God is bringing him along and converting him as he goes. Uh, he is sort of the patron saint of a consumer culture. He is also one who is addicted to the spectacular, I don't know if that covers any of you, but that's in my confession today. But God pulls him through that, and conversion is on the way. God is at work with all of us. So let us open our hearts as well as our ears to experience these words which we hear read. Welcome. The first lesson today is uh, from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. A mighty warrior is humble, humbled by a life-threatening disease. However, even more humility is required for his healing. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel. Now, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my sermon Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. 
When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Avana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Here ends the first lesson. Will you pray with me? Dear God, today on this beautiful first Sunday in July, each one of us has come to gather in this faith community and to pause within these moments of prayer. Together, yet each with hearts that beat to their own pace of prayer, some to praise, some to wonder, others to give thanks, and yet others to ask for forgiveness. Lord, as we enter into this sacred space of prayer together, we pray that you meet us here, each one standing in our different needs of prayer. God, in this week, this moment, we meet here, each one of us wholly and truly in need of prayer, in our lives, our families, our friendships, our communities, in our world. Indeed, we need but to glance to see the great, great need for prayer. Prayers of praise to celebrate healing and new life. Prayers of petition for healing and strength. Prayers for the broken relationships with our loved ones that we live in each day. Prayers for our communities in which we live together, but in which we find so many reasons to remain separate, out of love with our neighbors. Prayers for our country where in this past week we celebrated with joy a heritage of freedom while looking at our brothers and sisters here and throughout the world who live out each day an inheritance of oppression. We name to you, O God, these needs of prayer now, aloud, with our voices, and in the silent spaces of our hearts. O Lord, in your mercy, hear these prayers and be with each need named here this day. God, this week we hear the news of a world full of unrest, of countries and political upheaval, of migrants continuing to live and struggle and strife, of unexpected earthquakes in California, of uncharacteristic heat in Alaska, and of world leaders who seem to be unable to speak a language of peace to one another and therefore to our world. O oh Lord, we stand in great need of prayer. We, our world, all of your children, we stand in need of you, God, and the peace, love, hope, and joy that you and you alone can bring. Come to us, O oh Lord, in our need, and dwell among us. Fill us, guide us, and send us, Lord, as your disciples, to serve the needs of your children and of this world. And give us hearts of thanksgiving to praise you for your great mercy and grace, which we know can meet all needs, both now and forevermore. For it is in your holy name that we pray. Amen.
We are to carry our own burdens, but help others carry theirs as well. By doing so, we follow in the way of Christ. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Galatians. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. Here ends the second lesson. Would all the children please come forward at this time for our lesson together? Y'all can sit right here. I'm going to be here. And if you have an offering, you can put it in the plate that Pastor James is holding. Okay, well, good morning. I saw all of you already. This is like our second good morning because you were with me this morning in, in uh, Sunday school. There we go. Well, this morning I wanted to talk to you about um, making some plans. Do you guys ever make any plans? Do you make plans? I I make a lot of plans. You guys you guys can ask Norm about that. I make a lot of plans. So we were reading at we we read I read the scripture this morning and it was about a, a man named Naaman and he he kind of made some plans. He had a plan about how he would get his leprosy healed, and he kind of had a plan uh, too. And and, uh, and and some people helped him with his plan. And so he went and he thought, "This is the plan that I have to to help my leprosy get better." And um, you know what? Things really didn't work out according to Naaman's plan. He he kind of had to uh, change some plans. And he had to make it a little bit different. And you know what? It's not so much that he had to change his plans, but he kind of had to listen for what God's plan was. See, Naaman thought maybe if he did it his way, he would be, be healed. In fact, he thought maybe his way was a little bit better. And he kind of he told Elisha that. He kind of told him as much. But what he found out was that when he actually did things God's way, it all worked out for him, and his leprosy was cured. So sometimes when we make plans, even if we think they are the best, God can show us otherwise. And that's our lesson for today. Let's say a prayer. Dear God, thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for guiding us. And thank you for healing us even when we make other plans. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Leah and Levon, will y'all come with me?
Jesus sends his disciples on a mission. They learn to deal with rejection and return rejoicing. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, I want to make sure everyone can hear well enough. Sounds like it's working, working enough. Is anybody awake out there, by the way? <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, all right, well, I'm going to assume you can listen. So here we go. The scripture before us contains two of, I think, the Jewish people's greatest gifts to the world. The first is the importance of story. And the second is the power of humor. Those two things are both in abundance here. When it comes to humor, do you know any Jewish comedians? Yeah, you know a lot. All the way from Groucho to John Stewart to Mrs. Maisel. And they come not with just punchlines, but they also come with perspective. That's the power of humor. Both of these are in high profile in the story that we heard first that Andrea read and mentioned in the children's time about, about uh, uh, Naaman. Uh, God is at work in this story, converting him, as I said, from a consumer to a celebrant, from uh, a need and addiction to the spectacular to an appreciation for the ordinary. That's the hole in the record that the story swirls around, that he's a person of power. And the question is, but what does real power look like? It's not a bad question to ask these days and this week. What does real power look like? So here's this story. It touches me and speaks to me, and I hope you as well. It's in the southwest section of faraway Syria, uh, the district called Aram, A-R-A-M, would be our transliteration. And there's this five-star general, as Frederick Beekner called him. The five-star general is named Naaman. And the text begins with this crescendo of compliments. He was a great man, it says. Of high favor, it says. And a mighty warrior, it says. Up and up and up. We might say he's got so many ribbons and medals on him, he was top-heavy. He was important. He was the five-star general that everybody saluted. But even five-star generals have wings of wax when they fly too high. And that's the way the story goes, because the next word in, as he achieves this height, is, but he also suffered from a diagnosis the diagnosis of leprosy. So it asks the question, really, so what does real power look like? He's got it all, except he's got a terminal illness. Leprosy was an umbrella term in ancient biblical times for a plethora of diseases. 
It was a feared pathology about a skin condition, and part of the worst uh, of their fears would be a quarantine, if not isolation, and then shunning of the patients from the rest of family and society. Once the diagnosis is given in the story, it just keeps on going, though. It doesn't stall out. It moves quickly to one of the heroines of the story, this Jewish slave girl, that as Naaman has been on a raid to Israel in the Galilee area because the Aram area was just above that to the northeast, that he picked up this Jewish slave girl who worked for his wife, and she brings a message. Now, by the way, what was the name of the Jewish slave girl? We don't know. She's one of the anonymous people in Scripture that is a leverage, a fulcrum point of the story, but we don't even know her name. She says to her boss, I wish that uh, Naaman could go meet the prophet in Israel. He could heal, heal him of his leprosy. This is one of the aspects of Jewish storytelling because it's a theme in the Hebrew Scriptures of the Jew in the foreign court. And once you know that, you'll see it just keep popping up. The Jew in the foreign court, like uh, Daniel in the lion's den in Babylon. Uh, like Esther in uh, Persia, the foreign court. Uh, like, like Moses in Pharaoh's court in faraway Egypt. These are characters in a displaced place that have a place in God's story, far beyond their unknowing. And so there's that story, and then each of these has a humor aspect. It's like God's screwdriver in the lid of the paint can called despair. And with that slice of humor, they never lose hope. If only, says the slave girl, Naaman takes it and says, I will do that. Now, he's a man of protocol, he is a direct report of the king. So he goes to the king of Aram and says, I want to go to this man in Israel to be healed. The king writes a letter. Actually, it was probably a memo. You know, kings communicate in memos. And he says, I'll send it to the king of Israel. And it says, please heal this man. And Naaman takes the letter. What happens next is, I guess you'd be calling it a game of thrones. Because here's the king of Israel getting the letter from the king of Aram. And the king of Israel reads it as, it is, as if it's to him. I want you to heal this man. And it enrages the king. He misunderstands. He rips his clothes, tears his clothes. Says, who does this other king think I am? I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to pick a fight with me. It's kind of like never miss an opportunity to overreact over a misunderstanding. There's the humor. We who are listeners are snickering in the bulrushes because we know it's not about you, King. Why do you always think and make it about you? Hmm. Well, in the misunderstanding, Elisha, the prophet, whom Daniel preached on last week, overhears about this, sends word to the king of Israel and says, you send that guy to me and I'll come. When he comes to me, I'll show him who is a prophet in all of Israel. It's, it's one of those funny stories of misunderstanding. Think of, think of the Jewish story about Balaam's talking donkey, that the donkey was trying to help Balaam from getting killed by an angel and the donkey swerves from the path and Balaam beats the donkey. And then the donkey starts talking. Why, why are you beating me? I'm saving your life. Now the King James Version is, this is the story of Balaam's ass. And it begs the question, who is the real donkey in the story? Or Esther's vision, or a villain there in Persia. Uh, old Haman was going to... Uh, do a genocide on all the Jews, hang them uh, from this high gallows, and lo and behold, he himself ends up hanging from the gallows. The plot gets inverted. So what does real 
power look like? Well, the preacher in the wilderness says, I want to see the warlord named Naaman. Well, when he gets out there, Naaman arrives. He's got quite an entourage with him. You heard the amount of money he brings. In, in pounds, it's 600 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold that he's willing to, play, to pay for his healing. I love it how the storyteller has him arriving. It, I can imagine a Jewish storyteller maybe on a Shabbat service night at home among the flickering candles, saying, now, boys and girls, just imagine Naaman arriving there with all of the chariots. And, you know, the wheels on the chariots go round and round, round and round. And then all of the horses come pulling the chariots. And they pull up. And then they halt. And that word halt is in the text. They halt. And I'm imagining the halt was like Wiley Coyote stopping and all of the dust kind of rushing past him. And finally then the dust settles and everything goes quiet. He's waiting for Elisha the prophet to come out and heal him. You heard what happens. Elisha does not come out and heal him. I mean, you think about that. Here's Omar Bradley, you know, in the chair. Here is Ike. Here's Patton. All these four and five stars are there waiting, and the preacher won't even come to see him when he's sick. So, Elisha sends out a servant. The servant comes out, delivers the word, go dunk seven times in the Jordan, and you'll be well. That's it. Goes back in. Well, Naaman, who knows what real power is, knows that that doesn't feel like power, and he is infuriated. He huffs and puffs and tries to blow Elijah's hermitage down, starts ranting, and the text itemizes the rant. It's fascinating. He says, I would have expected the prophet to have come out, number one, and called on his God, number two, and waved his hand over the spot. He'd seen this done before, I assume. And wave his hand over the spot. And then number four, cure the leprosy. But, says Naaman. And then he starts derogatorily demeaning the host country in which he's gone to. Why? Why do I have to get dunked in the Jordan? Are not the rivers of Abna and Farpar? Back in Damascus, better than these, it would be like him saying, uh, I come from the land of the Yellowstone and the Madison, and I've got to go dip in Nickajack Creek? No, no. He is offended because he knows what real power looks like, and this is not it at all. And then the narrative turns. With an economy of words, the storyteller says the servants of Naaman, as he's, you know, getting the horses all turned about, you know, he's gotten to move around, the children can see it. And the servant says, now, Naaman, if he had asked you to do something spectacular, you would have done it. He asked you to do something common and simple. Why don't you try? Well, my hunch is that he huffed and puffed some more, but what do I have to lose? And so he goes to the Jordan and does it. Now, I'm imagining the children hearing the story at the Shabbat service, and the storyteller is saying, okay, boys and girls, he gets to the Jordan, and he goes, all right, that's one dunk. All right, that's number two. All right, that's number three. My hunch is that every time he dunked, he looked at the skin to see if it was better. But I don't think he was probably healed incrementally. I suspect that he was not healed in one-sevenths. That there was nothing at three, nothing at four, five, or six. Ordinary things. The thing is, a lot of life is attending to ordinary things. But it's in the ordinary things that our healing and our recovery is hidden. It's hard to sell the ordinary to a culture that is addicted to the spectacular. 
And we bring that to church, don't we? And yet it is in and with the ordinary that we spend most of our lives. It's the conversation with someone who will really listen to us. The smile of a child, a prayer with a friend, a time when you sit and hold your mother's hand while she is on her hospice bed. All ordinary times, but places where God shows up like standing for an ordinary photo with ordinary clergy brothers and sisters who have, po- have posed on the steps to say to the world, enough is enough. Of all people, Christians should be the natural celebrants of the ordinary. For we know that that is exactly where God likes to hide. We are people of the Incarnation. And God became flesh and dwelt among us, we read every Christmas Eve. Dwelt among us as ordinary as we are. All of that happened within those first six dunks. But then there was number seven. It took those to get there. And about the time he didn't think it would happen, number seven, it did. Something happens. He looks at his skin And it is healed. The text says he had the flesh of a young child. And that wasn't even the greatest miracle. Naaman the Grouch had been transformed into Naaman the Grateful. The text later on says, and he praises God. What does real power look like, Naaman? I think he went to the classroom and learned something. Maybe like we do today. Maybe it is looking for and listening for the small things that God is doing in your life and even the lives that are sitting around you to your left and back and forward and behind you on these pews. Looking and praying for those lives, our ordinary lives, as we receive bread from this table, as we receive the cup from this table, And it may just be that another miracle happens and that you're able to leave this sanctuary loving just a little bit more. Now, wouldn't that be something of what power is like? Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is preached, an invitation to dedication is given. As we take what we've heard and felt and give that back to God and leave this place changed. The song that we will sing is a communion hymn about breaking bread together that is transformative for us. Let's stand together and sing.
This is the time of the service where we bring announcements and celebrations and concerns to each other. I want to tell you about a few of those. First, we're continuing our, our lemonade uh, stand throughout the summer. And I'm going to ask the children, actually, at the end of communion, if you can go out and help uh, Miss Andrea. If you'd like to help with that, you can just go out that back door. Parents, you can assist to help with the lemonade. It's called a dollar for Tolliver, so get your dollars ready for missions, for raising money for missions this summer. I know that many of uh, Northside drivers were able to be here uh, last Friday for the wedding celebration of Mike and Susan, who are now honeymooning, and uh, that, I understand, was a, a grand time. And we celebrate with them uh, in absentia, uh, celebrate with Mike and Susan. Pick up a pinnacle um, as you uh, leave today. This is our uh, a publication that's kind of on a reduced publication schedule during the summer. It'll tell you about our uh, upcoming speaker schedule for church school on Sunday morning at 9.30. And if you open it, it'll tell you about some upcoming missions possibilities as well. Uh, Habitat for Humanity has uh, a build on August 3rd that our church is leading that day, an interfaith build. If you'd like to be part of that in any capacity, you can sign up on the sign-up sheet in the Narthex. And if you'd like to bring in hygiene kit supplies for the Ayudamas uh, mission that we're doing uh, for the next couple of Sundays, you can pick up a card with information. And the school supplies drive as well. All of that in uh, the Narthex as you leave or at this table on the other end. Uh, we know of many prayer concerns we were talking about earlier uh, in the church school, including uh, the, the earthquakes that continue to strike uh, Southern California as well as individuals uh, that aren't here that are recovering and that you hold in your hearts. We lift them up uh, this morning. Let's continue our worship with uh, one of our own, a very uh, special Kurt Thomas, who will be singing in the sweet by and by. Kurt, we look forward to hearing you. Thank you. There's a land that is fairer than day And by faith we can see it afar For oh, the Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore to our bountiful Father above. We will offer our tribute of praise for the glorious gift of His love. And the blessings that hollow our days In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore
At this time, we'll observe the service of Holy Communion. It is printed as an insert in your order of worship, and especially when I read the words of joining our voices with all the company of heaven, I think about the sweet by and by. Let's join together in celebrating and reading responsively. The peace of Christ be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing everywhere to give thanks to you, mighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with all the company of heaven, who forever proclaim the glory of your name, singing. You may be seated. On the night of Jesus' suffering and death, he took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. And having given thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. We celebrate the memorial of Christ's redeeming gift, O God, through this meal that speaks of both sacrifice and thanksgiving, recalling Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. We celebrate these holy mysteries. Sanctify us and your entire church that we may remain faithful in love and hope as we follow Jesus Christ our Lord. And hear us, O God, as we join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. All of God's people are welcome at this table. Take these gifts in remembrance that Christ died and was raised. And therefore, let us come to the table in thanksgiving and hope. Amen.
Jesus said, this is the bread of life. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat together. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. Let us stand together for a prayer of thanksgiving. All loving God, we give you thanks on this summer's day, for you have refreshed us at your table, and we have celebrated the presence of Christ among us. So deepen our faith, increase our love for one another, and send us forth into the world in strength and in peace, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus the Christ, amen.
And so as we prepare to go, remember these words. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.